Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E. W. Jackson. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. We're rolling, right? Well, we want to say hello to all of our Facebook followers. God bless all of you. Thank you for tuning in. And, and we hope that these messages are helping you. And please get in touch with us at thecall.org if you want to communicate with us or you want to join yourself to our ministry in some way. We're certainly glad to have you with us. By the way, everybody, we're going to start a television program um, somewhere around the middle of September. Uh, we're going to be going on television. Amen. And we're, we're believing God to work that out. We're we're the, you saw, see that we've moved one screen. We're getting ready to get the background behind me better set up for television and have some lights put up and, and all of that that we think will serve us better uh, for television purposes. But, but we're believing God to continue to increase our audience. And so you all watching on Facebook are the beginning of that. But, but we hope that, um, that that's going to expand to many, many more to come. Uh, all right. We're in a series, and this gets a little bit complicated, but, but we're really in a series about the, the mission and vision of our ministry. And there are three parts to the mission, save souls, save families, save the nation. And I've been skipping around a little bit because I've gone into save families, but then I've come back to save the nation for a couple of messages that God put on my heart. That he told me things I really needed to preach, really needed to say. And, and of course, the key scripture, and I'm using the old King James Version in this case, is Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. Now, we learned the last time that vision is essential to life. I mean, what the scripture says is where there is no vision, the people perish. That means that without vision, there is no life. Without vision, there is no progress. Without vision, there is no forward movement. And, and that, by the way, interestingly, includes us as human beings. Without God's vision, we would not exist. We are the product of the vision of Almighty God, who had you in mind and me in mind before the foundation of the world. And I said we've been considerably flawed by the existence of sin, but nevertheless, God had a perfect vision of who we are and who we would be. And by the way, that vision is going to be fulfilled. God's initial vision for who you are, in spite of the entrance of sin into the universe, is going to be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled in the resurrection when you and I will be absolutely perfect beyond where sin and death can ever touch us again. But we began with a vi as a vision in the mind or heart of God. Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man in our image or let us make man in our vision or according to our vision or according to the picture that I have of who he or who she should be uh, in our image, according to our likeness. Uh, I'm going to make this creature like me. He's going to be like me. Amen. 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 So now human vision then is understanding what the will of God is through his word, Logos, Logos, and walking that out as you get revelation in the specific circumstances of your life, which is rhema. You know, there are two words in the Greek New Testament for the word. One is Logos, which refers to the general revealed word of God. 
John 1, in beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God. And then you find in other scriptures where God gives a rhema, R-H-E-M-A, a rhema, that's a specific word in a specific situation, often to a specific person. And so your rhema grows out of the Logos, but the rhema is unique to you, okay? In other words, what God has for you, what he says, I want you to do, is not, that's a rhema for you. That's not a rhema for me. It's a rhema for you, amen? Amen, amen. And as you, as you get that rhema, then you walk out the vision that God has for you as it's revealed in the specific circumstances of your life. And some of us, we end up in places we never anticipated perhaps we would, we would end up. Brother Bob Creekmore has been involved in prison ministry. Now, probably was a time in his life when he never thought he'd be doing that. But that was the vision that God had for him. And so, and the other thing I said last time is that that insight, that revelation of God for us begins with character. It begins with who God shapes us to be on the inside. What you end up fulfilling in life is a product of who you are, not the other way around. I mean, you, you are not who you are because of what you do. You do what you do because of who you are. See, and I, I use that example with God. I said, when God, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1, the earth was without form and void, tohu abohu. In other words, it was, it was dark and it was desolate and it was chaotic. It says, and then God said, let there be light. Well, I said, what God spoke was what was in him. What God saw was what was in him. Because the word of God says that in him is light and no darkness at all. That's 1 John 1, 5. No light, I mean, in him is light and no darkness at all. So when God looked upon the darkness and looked upon the chaos, what he imposed upon that was his own character. See, so your vision for your life ultimately grows out of the character down on the inside of you. I said, my father didn't tell me, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a businessman, be a this, be a that. But my, what my father did for me was to help me develop a character that would allow me to do something with the skills and abilities that God gave me. Amen? Amen. 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 We, we spend a lot more time in our culture focused on people's skills and ability and very little time focusing on their character. And you know, skill and ability and talent and gifts will take you up and bad character will bring you crashing right back down. How many times have we seen that happen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So that, that's, that's vision. I wanted to lay that groundwork because I think that's important not only to us as a country, it's important to you as an individual. Lord, help me to understand your vision for my life. Help me to understand who you made me to be. And then out of that grows what God has for me to do. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. So now we come back to this issue of, which I began to raise last time, but didn't get too deep into. Is America a nation founded on a vision? Is America a nation founded on a vision? And the answer, in my view, is categorically yes. 
And, and I want to give you five principles today that undergird American society, which explain why we have been the most successful nation in the history of mankind. I mean, the myth that the left pre uh, presents is America was built on slavery. Well, that's not true. <laughs> did slavery exist in America? Of course it did. Of course it did. But remember, America, I mean, slavery primarily buttressed the agrarian culture of the South. See, while the North was industrializing, the South was f falling further behind. And, and here again, uh, America's 4% of the population, we are responsible, depending on what year, 50 to 60% of the patents and inventions in, in the world. And we're 4% of the population. That's, that has nothing to do with slavery. You know, that has to do with freedom. Freedom. George Washington Carver uh, was, was a black man who, he was free, I think he was born into slavery, but he was free, educated himself, and, and became the most prolific, uh, really agrarian genius in the country. I mean, he was responsible for helping the South do better with their crop growth because he did experiments. I mean, he, the man was, uh, he was a scientific genius. And of course, became wanted and needed by people of all kinds of backgrounds. Why? Because he had the freedom to explore his gifts and talents and abilities. And so he says, his testament is, his laboratory was God. So he would go out into his garden and talk to God. He said, and God would give him insights and show him things. And those things would be translated. This man found 300 different uses of the peanut. 300 different uses of the peanut. Not, and that's, that's just part of it. So, so my point is, Yes, slavery was a reality, but this idea that somehow America's illegitimate because everything America's got it was built on slavery, well, that's just not true. I mean, it's just not true. Remember, most of the North had long since rejected slavery, and that's where the industrialization began, and that's where the inventions began, and that's where you know, this, this sort of move toward industrialization. In fact, as I've said before, while the Civil War was definitely a war about slavery, and you can't get away from that, that was a major part of the issue, it wasn't only about that. So it was a clash of really two cultures that were moving in different directions, and, and, and that, that ultimately that difference had to be resolved. Well, one of those directions was that the North was becoming an industrial culture and the South was remaining an agrarian culture. I mean, that produces two different ways of thinking and approaching life and, and, and all of that. So, so while slavery was certainly a critical part of the Civil War, probably the major aspect that precipitated the Civil War, I'm saying it wasn't the only factor involved, and we do history a disservice to treat it as if it were. It is, as always in history, it's more complicated than the demagogues like to make it. Amen? Amen. Amen. So what was the vision that America began with? The first principle of America's founding is faith. And by the way, let's be really clear. It was faith in the God of the Bible. Uh, and I, I'm going to get to something in a second, but let me not get ahead of myself. 
I think I may have shared this with you last time, but it's worth repeating. The Mayflower Compact, those who came over on the Mayflower Compact, com, com, on the Mayflower, and they signed the Mayflower Compact. A part of the wording of the Mayflower Compact, this agreement that they all entered into said, in the name of God, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Now they're tearing down statues of Columbus, and here again, Columbus was a flawed man too. But they're tearing down statues of Columbus, and Columbus came here believing that God had sent him on this exploratory journey, that he was doing it for God, and he was doing it to further the Christian faith. That's why the first island he landed on, he called San Salvador, Holy Savior. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He could have called it Columbus land, but he didn't. And see, part of what certain forces in this country want to do is disconnect us from that Christian history. Because if you can disconnect us from Christian history, then you can, you can turn everything into race and class division and warfare. But if you ever acknowledge the fact that the driving motivation behind much of what brought America to being, into being was Christian, then all Christians of every background have something to relate to. Regardless of where they come from, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their background, they can relate to the fact that a fellow Christian, because if in fact Columbus was a Christian, I believe, having read a lot about him, I believe that the man was a Christian. You read his diary, and he talks a lot there about Jesus Christ and, and about what God has done for him. Uh, and you all probably know this, but they almost failed in that journey to land on, in North America. They almost failed, and, and almost he faced a, a near mutiny to turn back. Because they were starving, they were sick, there were all kinds of problems on his ships. But he, he, he just believed that God had a plan for him, and lo and behold, just before everything went sour, they spotted land. He saw that as a sign from Almighty God and God's blessing on his journey. So now, did everything he do, was everything he did right? No. Is everything you've done right? You don't have to answer that question. I already know the answer. <laughs> Amen. So was he a flawed human being? Yes. Yes, he was. So, so by the time the Mayflower lands, they are coming in the name of God to advance the Christian faith. And remember, sailing to America was not like what we do today. You know, if, if any of you have been on a cruise, I mean, you know, short of, of some of the problems we've had here recently, but people get on a cruise, I mean, it's just a good time. <laughs> you know, you, man, you're eating, and, and you know, I, I, I was just thinking the other day about the last time uh, my wife and I went on a cruise, uh, I spent a lot of time on the treadmill, looking out on the ocean, running. I felt like I was running on the ocean. That's not how it was on the Mayflower. <laughs> I mean, it was a dangerous journey. Remember, and they knew too that, that most of the people at the Jamestown settlement had died. Most of them who came over here had died. And here's what they said about going anyway. They said, we verily believe and trust the Lord is with us and that he will graciously prosper our endeavors according to the simplicity of our hearts therein. These were Christian people for the most part. And they came here understanding themselves to be on a Christian mission. The first charter of Virginia, they said in their charter, by the providence of Almighty God, in propagating of Christian religion to such people as yet live 
ignorant of the true knowledge and worship of God. Now, people today would say, well, that's culturally insensitive because who do you think you are to say that the Native Americans were living in ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God? As a Christian, it's true. <laughs> I mean, what do we send missionaries around the world for if that's not true? Because we wanted them to know Jesus Christ, amen? amen. And there are many people living around the world who didn't and still don't know Jesus Christ. So they saw it as their mission to spread the gospel. Now they had other things in mind as well, but that was part of it. And, and here again, the fact that these things find their way into their writings tells you something about their mindset and about what they saw themselves as trying to achieve. Now Samuel Adams, uh, and I could, I, I don't have time to go through this in the detail, I'd like to. Um, when I was out at uh, Andrew Walmick Ministries, uh, we did a panel discussion, me, him, and, and David Barton, and uh, I, I, I sit down and listen to David Barton. David Barton's like an excited, like an encyclopedia, and we joked about the fact that you give David Barton five minutes, it's likely to be an hour before he stops. Because he's got, so, I mean, our history is so rich, and there's so much about it that we don't know. And he's made a, a study of, of, of things about our history that most Americans will never come to know unless we transform the nature of our education so that Americans begin to understand the full history of our country rather than just the polemic that is trying to teach people to hate America. But Samuel Adams was a signer of the Declaration of Independence, one of those founding fathers that is not much talked about. Here's what he said in one of his many writings, quote, the right to freedom is the gift of Almighty God. The rights of the colonists as Christians, as Christians, may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which ought to be found clearly written and promulgated in the New Testament. That's what Samuel Adams, who was a key founding father in New England, uh, but was a key founding father, that's what he thought about the nature of our country, that it could be best understood by a study of the New Testament. Benjamin Rush, a preacher, another sign of the Declaration of Independence people don't talk much about. He was from Philadelphia. Here's what he said. Without virtue, there can be no liberty. We weigh so much, listen to this. Here's Benjamin Rush, almost 250 years ago. We waste so much time and money in punishing crimes and take so little pains to prevent them, we neglect the only means of establishing, perpetuating our government, that is, the universal education of our youth in the principles of Christianity by means of the Bible. Amen. For this divine book, above all others, favors that equality among mankind, that respect for just laws. Now, I could go on and on with this, but I don't have time to do that. George Washington, his first Thanksgiving proclamation. It is the duty of all nations to honor the providence, to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly implore his favor and protection. That went out to the whole nation. He said, this is our first duty to acknowledge God. Ben Franklin at the, in the Constitutional Convention stood up, the, the longer I live, the more um, convinced I become of this truth, 
that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall from the sky without his, not, without, without, without his notice, neither can an empire rise without his aid. He said, and we read in the scriptures, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He said, I, be, I firmly believe this. He said, I also believe that without his concurring aid, we will be no more successful in this building than they were in building the Tower of Babel. And here again, you could go on and on with this. Saints, the, the, the reality is, oh, and by the way, part of the reason why you say, well, Bishop, that, I mean, it, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? For years, for years, beginning really back in the middle of the 20th century, there was a concerted effort to convince Americans that our founders were not Christians, that most of them were deists. And that they were not interested in scripture, that they were not interested in church, that they didn't believe any of that. Well, that was a lie, but it was a lie intended to try to separate us from that Christian history. So the fact of the matter is, and don't ever forget this because this is the absolute truth. And then I'm gonna explain what I mean by it so you're not in any way confused by this. America is a Christian country. We always have been. And we as Christians ought to commit to this idea, and we always will be, as far as we're concerned. Say, so, well, now, well, Bishop, now wait a minute. How can that be? How can we be a Christian country? We don't have an official religion in our country. And that's good. I support that. I don't want there to be an official religion. Because whose is it going to be? Even if you say, well, Christianity is the official religion. Whose? Which denomination? Which interpretation of scripture? That's how you, you don't want the government di dictating, here's what it means to be a Christian. Oh, now wait a minute, whoa. Well, are we talking about Pentecostalism? <laughs> you got, listen, you, you got some Baptist brothers that won't even set foot in a, in a Pentecostal church. You got some Pentecostals who don't, don't think that, that Baptists and Methodists are even saved. <laughs> So, so whose religion is it? We don't, we, we don't want an official religion and we don't have one. But here's where the left, the left does. They, here's what they do. They say, see, the founding fathers didn't want Christianity to be the official religion of America. They didn't want it to be an official religion because they did not want the state trying to control or dictate what people thought and what was in their own conscience. But culturally, we are a Christian country. I mean, think about this. Would you think of going to India right now, 98% Hindu, and saying, well, but India's not a Hindu country. Well, of course it is. And, and by the way, I think India's moved away from Hinduism as, as its official religion, whereas it, but, but Christians and, and, and others still face a lot of persecution if you're not Hindu. But culturally, India is a Hindu nation. Culturally, China, until communists came in, was a Buddhist nation. I mean, so culturally, America is a Christian nation. We're not Muslims, we're not Buddhists, we're not Hindus, and we're not atheists. 65% of Americans in polling still identify themselves as Christians. Now, of course, we can say, yeah, but boy, that, that, where, where are they? <laughs> where are they? Well, they identify as Christians, which means that they still identify themselves 
with the culture, predominant culture of our country. But you can see from, from the historical record that there's evidence of that, plenty of it. And here again, I could go on and on and on with this. Uh, but America is culturally a Christian nation. And you can distinguish that from the argument, which is why, what I'm accused of. Oh, you know, Bishop Jackson wants a theocracy. I don't. There is going to be one in, in God's eternal kingdom, and it's going to be ruled by a king, and his name is Jesus. And I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Amen. I don't want any king on earth because I don't trust anybody on earth with the power with which I trust Jesus. I trust Jesus with all power in his hands because he's absolutely perfect. Nobody else meets that bill. Amen? Amen. Amen. And saints, it is precisely Christian doctrine that made the founding fathers, now please listen to this closely, that made the founding fathers resist, because there were forces that wanted it, resist the effort to put concentrations of power in the hands of one person. Uh, James Madison um, uh, 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 wisely said one time, part of the reason for our system of government, he says, is that enlightened statesmen are not always at the helm. And that was being kind. What he was saying was sometimes wicked people can get power. So they created a system, now listen to this, they created a system in which even they as the founders did not have absolute power. Do you realize how unique that is in human history? That doesn't happen. People don't create systems that cause them to have to give up power. People generally create systems that allow them to keep it forever. There was no, no uh, generational handing off of power. In fact, there was a celebration when John Adams took over from George Washington. There was a celebration because the thought was, we did it. Peaceful transition of power. And it didn't go to George Washington's son. And it didn't go to somebody else standing in the wings with, with guns of the, of, the, of the military saying, I'm taking over. It happened very peacefully. And, 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 and John Adams then had to work out his own government and decide who he wanted to stay with him. And who, I mean, that was unique in human history. Even King George was fascinated when George Washington walked away. He said, I've never seen anything like this. This man had the power of the presidency of the United States in his hands. He walked away from it. Because, of course, all King George knew about was people who did everything in their ability to hold on to every bit of power they had and to never give it up. Now, here again, while we're tearing down the statues of the founding fathers, somebody needs to start talking about that and thinking about that. Because of their foresight and selflessness, we don't live under a dictatorship. You can like Donald Trump, you can hate Donald Trump, you can like Barack Obama or hate him, you can like Bill Clinton or hate him, you can like George Bush or hate him, you can like Ronald Reagan or hate him, you can like, you pick the, pick the person, you can like him or hate him, and I know there are all these rumors floating around, but let me tell you something, either at the end of four years or eight years, they're moving on. 
And by the way, here's the beauty of our system. Even if there is a president in office that I like, at the end of eight years, I want him gone.